rejoice as you go. That's what I took from this. That as they're going, it's not all easy, but each place they go, they have a reason to rejoice. They find some wells of water and they sing a song about God's provision of water. And so there's so much in the Bible, especially as we talk about it in contrast to the grumbling, complaining spirit, the spirit that can make merry in their heart, that could sing, make a joyful noise. What you set your focus on has a huge impact on your emotional outlook. Pastor Daniel echoes this in today's teaching, encouraging you to look for things to be grateful for. As you learn about how the Israelites sang praises to God after seeing his provision, you'll be reminded to look for ways that God comes through for you. If you do this, you'll have a much more joyful experience than if you focus on how things aren't going your way. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 21 as he continues his message, Destruction and Forgiveness. Because they saw the immediate judgment of God because of their actions, they owned it. We sinned against God and we sinned against you, Moses. Will you pray for us? You know what I love about Moses? Moses doesn't say, you know, you guys have been complaining to me for 40 years. I ain't going to pray for you guys. Now, I know I bring that up because some of you, if someone came to you and said, will you pray for me? I've sinned against you. You'd say, heck no. I know you're not supposed to think that way when you're a Christian. But there's some people, like if they came and said, oh, man, I've done you so dirty. I've been so wrong by you. Will you pray for me? Yeah, right. No way. You can die. And that's the wrong heart. Because if someone comes and says, look, I have totally wronged you, and I've wronged God in my actions, will you pray for me? You know what you should do? Stop and pray for him right there. Because we know what it's like to wrong people. If we're honest, we know what it's like to wrong God in our actions. And Moses, even though Moses has gotten a headache from the children of Israel for 40 years, even though because of his frustration with their complaining just last chapter, Moses isn't going to go into the promised land, he still stops and he prays for the people. What a beautiful picture of God's forgiveness from Moses. He doesn't say, yeah, you guys deserve that. He says, I'll pray. And he prays for them. And notice what the Lord says to Moses in verse 8. He says, The Lord said, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was that if the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, what a crazy thing, right? So God says, look, I want you to take one of those fiery serpents. I want you to put it up on a pole. And if anyone's been bit, if they look at it, they're going to be made well. Now, you might say to yourself, well, what kind of a solution to the problem is that. Guess what? That's the solution that the great physician designed. Now, you can imagine someone who got bit by a serpent. They say, just look at the pole. Just look at the pole. I don't want to look at the pole. I don't, I mean, what's that going to do for me? Right? Those of you who've read your New Testament realize, listen to what Jesus says. Remember classic John chapter three. 
as Moses lifted, this is John 3, 14 to 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus clearly said that there was a similarity between what Moses did here and what Jesus did on the cross. See, people say to me all the time, well, I don't understand why I have to believe in Jesus. I mean, how is believing in a guy who died 2,000 years ago going to forgive me my sins? I'm like, because that's what God says it's going to do. So when Moses puts the fiery serpent on the pole, it makes no sense. I mean, looking at a serpent on a pole, I mean, how's that going to cure anybody? But it says that everyone who looked at the pole, what happened? They didn't die. So I'm here to tell you this. If you're here today, and I'm sure there's a lot of you, you don't believe in Jesus, and you're like, I, I just, why do I have to believe in Jesus? Because God said if you believe in his son who died on the cross for you, that your sins will be forgiven, and that you will have everlasting life. And that is hands down the best deal ever, and it sounds illogical, irrational, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And then people say things. And listen, I was this guy, so I know this real well. When people say, well, I, well, I don't want to believe in a God who would send me to hell. I'm like, oh, you're going to blame God. That God, you swallowed poison. God has, the antidote is just take this pill. And you're like, I don't want to take that pill. I don't believe that pill is going to work. And I don't want to believe in a God who's going to let me die. It's like, no, you chose to die because you won't take the antidote. Who's the knucklehead? <laughs> who's the knucklehead? God is saying, listen, all you need to do is believe in my son. And if you believe in my son, I will forgive you of everything you've ever done and you ever will do. You're like, well, I don't think that's going to heal me. I don't like it. And why would I want to believe in a Jewish prophet from 2,000 years ago? We're way too sophisticated for that. It's not God's problem. He made it so easy for us. He did all the work. And he said, just look to the son. Believe in him. And how many of us right now, listen, if you're in the valley of decision, you're saying it's too good to be true. Yes, it is, but it's still true. God didn't make it hard. He didn't make you click your heel three times and spin around and say, I wish I was home. I wish I was home. I wish I was home. He said, just embrace and receive my son. It's that simple. But if you say, well, I don't believe it's going to work, and you die in your sins, and you enter a lost eternity, God did everything except make you believe it. He took care of it. And that's what's so powerful about this. Even thousands of years before Jesus, God is giving a picture of the cross. Now, anybody say, well, how is the serpent on the pole a picture of Jesus? Well, obviously, the pole, it's on display. The idea of the serpent on the pole, the fiery serpent. Notice it's a bronze serpent. Bronze in the Bible is always a picture of judgment. And you have to realize that on the cross, the Son of God became our judgment. He became our judgment. That's why the red cross, you ever notice it's a cross with the serpent wrapped around it? That's their picture. Because healing comes from looking at the judge Son of God on a pole. Now, the red cross would never say that now, but when they were founded, that's what they, they knew the imagery of what they were using and why. Because healing comes when you and I would just behold Jesus on the cross. Let your heart receive it. You can imagine somebody just being like, oh man, I don't believe that's going to help. We need something else. We need to make a special potion of this thing or we need to do this other thing. No, God said, this is how you get healed. 
And in the same way, you and I get healed spiritually by believing in the resurrected but first condemned son of God. That's what he says. You don't need to keep a bunch of laws. You don't need to do all these things. You need to believe in Jesus. And if you've never made that decision, it is that simple. Don't overthink what God has made infinitely simple. Because what's your alternative? Trying something else? It hasn't worked, has it? No. Because God made the way of forgiveness super simple. Just look. He doesn't say, you need to go on to the pole. He says, no, just behold the serpent on the pole. This reminds me of Isaiah 45, 22. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Look to me. Brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you've already put your faith and trust in Jesus, look to Jesus. Get your eyes on him. All the distractions are aimed to get your eyes off of Jesus. And all, all it does is keep us from being the people God's called us to be. So look to him. I love the emphasis on that idea of looking to him, looking to him. Now, in verse 10, look at what happens next. It says, now the children of Israel moved on and camped at Oboth, and they journeyed from Oboth and camped in Ij Abarim in the wilderness, which is east of Moab toward the sunrise. From there they moved and camped in the valley of Zered, and from there they moved and encamped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites, for the Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, Waheb and Sufa, the brooks of the Arnon and the slope of the brooks that reaches to the dwelling of Ar and lies on the border of Moab. Verse 16, from there they went to Beer, which is, and that's not like microbrew beer for you drinkers, which is in the well where the Lord said to Moses, gather the people together and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, spring up, O well, all of you sing to it. The well the leaders sank, dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver with their staves. And from the wilderness, they went to Matanah. From Matanah, they went to Nahaliel. From Nahaliel, they went to Bamoth. And from Bamoth in the valley, which is in the country of Moab, to the top of Pisgah, which looks down on the wasteland. And so you notice here that we have their travel points. They're moving from place to place to place as they prepare themselves to land on the border of the promised land. We've seen already that they're going to skirt the lands of Edom. We'd already talked about that. You notice that at each place they go, they end up singing a song. There's all these songs, and it's kind of a unique part of this park. It's like they're moving here, and then they, hey, this relates to this song, and this thing relates to this song. And it just reminds me that we should sing a new song to the Lord. And so... And now I know that some of you aren't musical and, you know, all that, but part of it is you should rejoice as you go. That's what I took from this, that as they're going, it's not all easy, but each place they go, they have a reason to rejoice. They find some wells of water and they sing a song about God's provision of water. And so 
There's so much in the Bible, especially as we talk about it in contrast to the grumbling, complaining spirit, the spirit that can make merry in their heart, that could sing, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And so what's funny is, you know, as a parent, it's really funny how the things that we do with our kids, I find myself doing a lot with adults because adults are just big kids who've forgotten how much fun it is to be little again. And so when my kids are grumpy, we put on worship music and we dance around the house. And in the beginning, they're all like, and then if you do long enough, you know what happens? They get really excited. And before you know it, they're jumping up and down on the chairs and they're, Jesus, and it's really, and they're, and then after it, they're happy again. You know what I mean? And so I don't know how many of us in the midst of our lives, maybe need to stop and praise God a little bit. Write a little song. Find a song to sing in praise of God. If you find yourself being grumpy, Make a gratitude list. We do this all the time in my house. When the two kids, especially my older ones, Obadiah's 10 now and Maranatha's almost seven, and they're in the bickering phase, you know? And so every time they start bickering, we're like, say seven nice things about each other, you know? And it's funny because, you know, and kids are cool. Like, I like the way your eyes sparkle. They say things like that, which is so sweet. You know what happens when Obadiah says, Maranatha, I like the way your eyes sparkle. Her eyes start to sparkle, you know? And I like how God made you. They say things like this to each other. I like how God made you. And you know, by the time their seven gratitude list is over, is anybody bickering? No, they're best buds. They just, they like each other. They just had to be reminded of it in the midst of it. And I think the children of Israel, they are complaining. They have fiery serpents. And now they're moving from place to place. And they're finding reasons to praise God. And so I want to encourage you, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Write a little song. It's funny, my wife's been running women's ministry, and she tells me that she sings to the women at women's ministry, which I just think is totally awesome, because my wife is not somebody who would sing in public ever. But it's like, she's trying to remind the girls that it's okay, just to praise God, it doesn't matter how you sound. It doesn't matter, because it's not about how we sound, it's about that God is worthy of praise. When was the last time you went to your job that you don't like, and you praised God? You wrote a song about digging a ditch at work. When was the last time you said, God, I'm so grateful for my grumpy boss, grumpy boss, grumpy boss. I'm going to make him coffee because he's grumpy. Uh -uh." You know, I just made that song. That's a good song, right? That's a hit single. You know? But it's like your grumpy boss will look a lot more joyful when you're singing that song in your head every time you see him, right? And so it's simplistic and silly, but so spiritually profound, isn't it? To find a reason to sing a song of praise to God for what we do have, to what it does look like. And so it's just amazing here because they're saying, now, someone's going to ask, no doubt, about the, what is the book of the wars of the Lord? And you know what the answer to that is? I have absolutely no clue. So it's not in our Bibles. There's a number of books that get referenced in the Old Testament, like the book of Jasher, which gets uh, referenced in Joshua chapter 10 and 2 Samuel chapter 1. You can actually find a copy of that on the internet. It was another writing from that time period. Now, no, we don't consider it to be inspired text, but there was some sort in that time, some anthologies of some of the things that went on, and one of them gets referenced here in relation to that area in Arnon. And so, yeah, you really just have, this is their map of all the places that they're going. Now, in verse 21, it says, Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, 
saying, let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into the fields or vineyards. We will not drink water from wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all of his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of the land from the Arnon to the Jabbok as far as the people of Ammon for the border of the people of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all these cities and Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites in Hezbon and in all of its villages. So Hezbon was the city of Sion, the king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab, had taken all of his land from his hand as far as Arnon. Therefore, those who speak in Proverbs say, come to Hezbon, let it be built Let the city of Sihon be repaired, for fire went out from Hezbon, a flame from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ar of Moab on the Lord of the heights of Arnon. Woe to you, Moab. You have perished, O people of Camoth. He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity to Sihon, the king of the Amorites. But we have shot at them. Hezbon has perished as far as Dibon. Then we laid waste as far as Nopha that reaches to Mediba. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. Then Moses said, sent spies out to Jazer, and they took its village and drove out the Amorites who were there. Now, here we see the defeat of the king of Sihon, who was the leader of the Amorites. Now, notice how this begins. Are they trying to take the land? No, they're trying just to travel through, right? And in a lot of ways, this is exactly what they had done before. They said, look, we want to travel through. We're going to stay on the road. We're not going to go into your land. Will you please let us come through? And the king said, no. And he assembled an army, and he came out against the children of Israel, and he was completely defeated. And we find out that this king had actually taken the land from the Moabites, and now he's forfeited the land because he simply wanted to fight a battle for no good reason. So this is a good reminder, I think, that us choosing battles that we can avert has consequences. The children of Israel didn't want this land. They were just like, we're just going to walk through on the road. We just let us go through, please. And this guy just decides he wants to fight about it. And then he loses his land. And the children of Israel write a song about it. So what I want to remind you is, don't pick a fight for no reason. It's a simple reminder. I think sometimes we pick fights because it makes us feel alive a little bit. The Bible says that we should live peaceably with all people when it's within our power. That's what the Apostle Paul said. And so the children of Israel are just trying to pass through. But this guy wants to fight, and he ends up losing, and he ends up losing his land. And, you know, it's a knucklehead move. So just don't pick a fight for no reason. Is that pretty good? Pretty good application of this? You know, and again, the children of Israel, God hasn't given them this land. This isn't part of their inheritance from the Lord, but it ends up being their land because this guy wants to fight against God for no good reason. So seek peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. And don't pick a fight. You know, it's like you got to count the cost. Isn't that what the Bible says? You got to count the cost if you're going to go do something. Count the cost of what it's going to take to do that. And for this king, he didn't count the cost. Because what he realized was he wasn't fighting against the children of Israel. He was fighting against the God of the children of Israel. And he picked a fight with the wrong group of people. 
It's kind of like, there's so many movies that come out now where it's like, you know, the protagonist in the movie is like a trained Jason Bourne kind of a guy and just looks like a normal guy, but he knows every sort of martial arts and guns and everything else. And yeah, you picked a fight with the wrong person kind of a thing. And in some ways it's like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to pick a fight for no good reason. If someone's just trying to pass through peaceably, then let them, you know? But hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't it? I know a lot of us should look back, like, man, I should have just let that thing go. I don't know why I fought that battle. And it made no good sense to do it. And so just a good reminder for it. Now, in verse 33, look at what it says. It says, and they turned and went up by way of Bashan. And so Og, the king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all of his people, to battle at Endrei. Then the Lord said to Moses, do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand, with all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sion the king of the Amorites who dwelt in Heshbon. So they defeated him and his sons and all of his people until there was no survival left him, and they took possession of his land. Now, for Og, the king of Bashan, he just preemptively comes out and battles against the children of Israel. And you would think that at this point, Knowing that everybody who came before got defeated, he's either thinking, look, they're tired and I can find someone's going to beat him, so it's going to be me. Or he could have said, listen, you guys can pass right through and the children of Israel would have passed right through. But oftentimes misery likes company. And so he chooses to go out to battle against the children of Israel. And it's important just to remember that the children of Israel didn't want this land. They weren't coming to conquer the land. They were just trying to pass through to the land that God was giving them. And all of these That's why I call them distractions, because none of these things are supposed to be happening. But for whatever reason, all these kings are coming out against them and fighting with them. And so it's just a good reminder about distractions, because you can imagine the children of Israel. I mean, they just, you know, we have a series of successive battles where they could be like, yeah, I don't even know where we're going or why we're going, because you're so looking at all these skirmishes that you're fighting that you forget what the real thing is and that God is delivering his people from slavery and from bondage into a glorious future. And for you and I, that's exactly what God is doing in our lives. He has delivered you and I from slavery to sin. And he is ushering us in to a more and beautiful, glorious future. But along the way, there's going to be skirmishes. Along the way, there's going to be messy spots and sections. And so for us, the key is, is when you're in the middle of a skirmish or a messy spot, the key is to remember where you're headed and who's leading you. Jesus is real. Making goals can really help you to accomplish what you want to do. However, as Pastor Daniel reminded you today, it's easy to get caught up in the battles and mess that occur in the process. All these distractions can cause you to forget where you're headed and that God has delivered you from a bondage to a new life of freedom. Pastor Daniel encouraged you not to lose focus. He urged you to remember where you're headed and who is leading you. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel and I wanna be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy. And the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, you can, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. 
I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances of your life. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel continues traveling through the book of Numbers. You'll learn that people are afraid of the Israelites because God has given them victory in battle. Pastor Daniel will explain that the Moabite king reaches out to the prophet Balaam for help because he realizes that he's out of his depth. You'll see that it's good to recognize your own weakness and ask God for help. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Wilderness. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.